0: You are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Now, so here's the problem: there are these so-called Jewish Christian teachers from Jerusalem. They're puffing out their chests and they're teaching people Galatia a different gospel that that what uh, Paul was preaching. So these false teachers were arguing that in order to be accepted by God, you needed Jesus, sure, okay? But you needed Jesus plus something else. In other words, if you want God, you want the great God of all the universe to accept you, then you need to put your faith in Jesus and what he has done and everything else that he has accomplished. And you're thinking, yes, praise the Lord, I believe that, I agree with that, and all that stuff, but then go, they say, but... You also need to, and then fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. And in this case... They said, you need to be circumcised, and you need to follow the Old Testament law. Now, the book of Acts, in chapter 15, verse 1, really kind of reiterates and echoes what Apostle Paul was dealing with throughout this whole kind of issue, who's battling throughout his missionary journey. It reads this in 15.1, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And these are people who are professing to be Christians. Now, here's the tricky thing in all this. At first glance, this doesn't look that serious. You're thinking, okay, well, they're saying, I believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, profess in Jesus, confess in Jesus, all this stuff, and you're thinking, amen, amen, amen. It doesn't sound like that big of, a ni- big of a deal. They're saying, hey, it's absolutely essential to respond in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ, and you're saying, again, amen. I believe, I believe all that. I totally agree with what you're saying. And the fact is, a lot of us would probably agree with these people. In fact, these teachers would probably agree with even us in terms of the different aspects of the gospel, too. So it would be easy for us to kind of look over this and say, it's not that big a deal, Paul. It's not that big a deal, Pastor David. There's no need to create a fuss here, Pastor David. Just keep calm and move along. Now, not only that, you know what was happening in that area? The church was growing. There were churches springing up everywhere everywhere around the Roman Empire. I mean, we're talking about church plant after church plant after church plant. And so there's this huge momentum shift towards Christianity. And I'm sure many people are saying, you know, Paul, why don't you keep it down a bit? Because things are going well for us. People are on our side for once. Let's not create a stir or distraction with this whole kind of, you know, straight gospel talk here. But for some reason, Paul keeps going back to the debate because, guess what? For him, he's saying it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Paul says that the idea that you need Jesus plus something else in order to be accepted by God is actually a serious issue, and it threatens the very freedom of believers and the church despite the growth. Come on, we all know this. Numerical growth does not necessarily equal to spiritual growth. There are large churches that are filled with spiritual dead people. And so our first point is this, you cannot add anything to Christ. Say it to your neighbor, don't add anything to Christ. Now Paul has been ministering for 14 years at this point. He says, this is what's at stake, that this kind of false teaching and adding to Christ is going to invalidate everything that I've worked for. (coughs) Now here's the thing, Paul's Paul's not thinking that his gospel could be wrong. No, he's not not defensive about that. Because he's already told us, my gospel message that I'm proclaiming to you all right now is not from me, it's not from my teacher, it's not from some sort of human origin, it comes from Jesus. So I am set with what I'm preaching about. You guys are the ones that are making a mistake right now. So he's saying, I understand the gospel message because it comes from Jesus. Now here's the thing. The moment the purity of the gospel becomes compromised and we allow, for instance, circumcision as part of the gospel, then what happens is it becomes a slippery slope, and in no time it will introduce anything else and everything else to the gospel, where the gospel eventually, eventually loses meaning and efficacy. Now here's the thing. I saw a recent debate, recent as in I recently saw it, but the debate happened over a year ago. <coughs> it was with a pastor, uh, the, the first Dallas Baptist Church pastor, and a um, pastor, I forget his name, uh, and a and he was, on the panel was him, and also a lesbian clergy woman priest. The moderator asked the pastor, "Pastor, what's your stance on um, homosexual marriage, gay marriage?" And so that pastor simply quoted from scripture. He says, "Well, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 19." And then the clergy woman responded, saying, "You're wrong." Because she says, according to my tradition, and by the way, tradition means this. It's a transmission of beliefs that have been inherited and passed down from generation to generation. So if you're a Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever you want to call it, you all have traditions. It comes from a different time, a different place, and it gets passed down to generation to generation. She's saying, my belief, my kind of denomination, if you will, my doctrine, my understanding, my tradition have been passed down. And she's saying this, even though it's about a few hundred years ago, She believes that it's somehow, because of the length of her time, which really is no length at all compared to mainline denominations, she's saying, I have authority. And so she's saying, my interpretation of Scripture dictates that homosexuality was never a sin, and so redefining of marriage is a non-issue. And so then the pastor responds and says, I see. Well, here's the thing. I have one question and only one question to ask you. Can you answer to me and tell me what Jesus says in Matthew 19? And then at that moment, the clergywoman, she got upset. She got upset. And she goes, well, you know what? That's your interpretation, not ours. And the pastor, he just looks around and he's baffled. He's baffled because the explanation that Jesus gives here is pretty clear, and let me read it for you. It says here in Matthew 19, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, But one flesh, what therefore God has, God has joined together, let no man separate. So he says that. And the clergy one responds with anger. Well, that's just your interpretation. Now, before any of us roll our eyes and are like, how could she not see so clearly what the text is saying? That's what people are doing right now, constantly. And quite frankly, that is what we often do too, to make ourselves feel a little bit better, especially when we're in sin. The moment we allow people to interject their interpretation to suit their needs and for their comfort and for the sake of political correctness is when the gospel no longer becomes the gospel and it's where Jesus no longer becomes Jesus. It becomes the gospel plus something which is really just false gospel and Jesus in addition to something who then becomes a false Jesus. Here's the thing. Whenever people ask you or whenever you say, <clears throat> when people say that they follow Jesus, right? Whenever someone says that, you're talking, you're, maybe it's for evangelistic reasons or you're just talking to a coworker, whomever, or whomever, you're talking to even a friend of yours. Whenever the people say, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, ask them this follow-up follow question. Say, which Jesus? Which Jesus? Because any Jesus apart from the historical and biblical Jesus is no Jesus at all. It's no Jesus at all. I remember a time when for some reason, Christianity was getting kind of popular in Hollywood. Yeah, I said that. And Ashton Kutcher, he wore a shirt that said, Jesus, my homie. You remember that? Everyone was wearing that shirt. Everyone hasn't like, Ashton Kutcher. Jesus, my homie. Why? Because Jesus is all about acceptance and tolerance, which we clearly know is not the biblical Jesus. And so this was the threat that Paul was facing. A group of so called theologically trained and educated men who said, Well, Paul, I believe what you believe. Come on, we're brothers. But it's your interpretation. And we believe what you believe, Paul, by trying to get like this kind of agreement going on. I believe what you believe, and you believe what I believe. But, but, you got to also do this. You got to also believe that. That's just like what liberal Christianity will state. They say, of course I believe in Jesus. That's what cults say. Of course I believe in Jesus. But I also believe in this. I also believe in that. I also believe in Jesus in addition to, is what they're saying. That moment, that door of spiritual compromise opens in your life, I'll say this, your faith is scrapped. Because it no longer hangs upon the righteousness of Christ, but by the self-righteousness of you, of people. The notion that I can do better or be better apart from Christ that I know better than God, that's pride. When you add something or anything to Jesus in order to be accepted by God, it will actually rob us of the truth and the power of the gospel. I want to read verses 4 to 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped into spite our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Freedom and truth is what is at stake here, people. Paul says three things will happen if you go down this road, the slippery slope. Firstly, all the ministry that was done to the real people facing real spiritual issues will be undone. Secondly, we'll lose our freedom and become slaves to sin and unrighteousness. Thirdly, we'll start exchanging the truth for a lie. We won't know the difference. We'll start thinking up is down and down is up and black is white and white is black and right is wrong and wrong is right. If we add something to Jesus in order to be accepted by God, it's over. So Paul uses this time to explain how this plays out. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. <coughs> then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, although privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, Paul right now, as he's speaking to the people of Galatia, he's showing a lot of wisdom here. Because it's one thing to simply discuss and think about abstract theological ideas, but it's another to actually apply it to real people in real situations. So that's why Paul brings up Titus to illustrate his point. You see, Paul, he took a trip to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John. These guys were the leaders of the church there. And he took along with him Barnabas and Titus. Now, Titus was one of Paul's co-workers, if you will. And he he played a major role, especially in the church of Corinth. Paul later on describes Titus as my true child in common faith. And so we know that they have this really tight, close relationship. So Paul, he brings Titus along as a case study. Now, here's the thing about Titus. Titus, we know, trusted in Christ alone. We know about Titus that he has completely rested in God's completed work through Christ. And so the question is, does Titus need something else in order to be accepted by God? Does he need more, or is Jesus enough? So Titus' case was presented before the people, (coughs) and this was Titus' situation. Titus was never circumcised. Why? Because he wasn't a Jew. Titus never adopted or attempted to join the Jewish community or try to adopt their lifestyle. Why? Because he was not a Jew. Titus only believed and put his faith in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. Why? Because he, what, understood the gospel. And so the question was, then to the Jewish Jerusalem Christians there, how how would he be perceived and received? And here's what happened. Paul was talking about the people there. He's saying, guess what? They accepted Titus, despite the fact that he was not circumcised. They're saying, those people up in Jerusalem, the people that you allegedly said that you came from, these people have agreed with me. I have agreed with the gospel of Christ and have endorsed my ministry. And so Paul obviously was delighted in the verdict, (laughs) which he describes in verse 3. He says, you can't add anything to Christ. Jesus plus nothing else. And so here's my question for you all then. In what ways have you added onto Christ? And here's a good way to help you find out. In what ways have you judged one another? I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about one another here, fellow members of the church here. How have you judged each other? I have heard ladies whisper behind the backs of other ladies and how they've dressed. They go, oh, that's just too much skin. Too much skin is showing. Look, modesty is definitely important, but that's another topic. We're talking about our hearts and our self-righteous approval we give ourselves for not looking or talking or thinking or behaving in, so, in sort of other ways that we believe uh, that are condemnable. Because we think that because we dress this way, because we are more prayerful, because we tithe more perhaps, or because we understand a little bit more theology, because we come from a better family background, because we understand uh, whatever, we're more open-minded, because I've done nothing to offend anyone, because of whatever it is that we do or are, we think we're more accepted by God than that under, other individual who's struggling with sin. We think we're better somehow, that God has accepted us more, that God says, I love you more than that one who's struggling with sin pornography or that one who's struggling with people or that one who's struggling with modesty or that one who's struggling visibly with something do you see how easy it is for us to tack on to the mercy and grace of God with our self-righteous expectations and demands do you see that do you guys understand what I'm talking about here do you see how easy it is Do you see how the Jewish requirement for circumcision can be so easily translated into shining star code of dress or qualification? Well, you know, it's all about Jesus and only Jesus. We are to then be led by his humble example and that understanding allows us to submit and find great freedom in the grace of God. We're no better than any other just because they're less polished than we are. Having a seminary degree with a Christian background, Christian parents, married to a Christian spouse who prays and reads the Bible every single day and, and, and anything like that does no more, takes away any less of the grace of God than someone who may not look and at times behave differently than you. Our second and last point is that there is one church, it's certainly diverse, was one church, different in many ways, was one church and one body. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's one church. Now, I think it's safe to say that Apostle Paul was a man who feared very little. He was jailed, flogged, stoned. You know what's crazy? In Acts 14, he gets stoned outside the city gates. Then what happened? Was he like, oh, Lord, someone please leave me out? No, he, he got up because everyone left thinking he was dead. He got up, brushed himself off, and went right back inside to share the gospel. He was shipwrecked, and he was eventually martyred for his faith. But you never read of him being filled with anxiety in the face of those circumstances. He was never like, oh, Lord, I'm so concerned about that person. But here in this passage, namely at the end of verse 2, Paul, he kind of admits his fear. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. What was he concerned about? What was it that he had to ensure lest his ministry get uprooted? Paul, he wasn't worried that his gospel was going to be different from the other gospels. The pillars, by the way, he was referencing verse 9, talking about Peter, James, and John, who were the church leaders, the pillars. He's not saying, I believe my gospel is inconsistent with theirs, and that's what I fear. No, no, there's nothing about that. (laughs) Paul's uncertainty has to do with the division in the church between Jews and Gentiles. That's what he was fearful of, the division that happens in churches. And I'll tell you why. If a Gentile believer, right, that means non-Jewish believer, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. We got Jews here? (laughs) We're all Gentiles, unless you're literally Jewish. Okay? If the Gentile believers here were cut off from Christianity's Jewish roots, then they would lose sight of God's promises. You see, if they were not taught this from Genesis to Revelation, the truth of God's sovereign plan, then they would not know what God has in store for them. And that would not give them the courage to, and the momentum to keep going. So it's important that they hold fast to these teachings and to have an affiliation with that. Otherwise, their minds and their hearts will change with the philosophies of that day. Similarly, if the Jewish believers were cut off from the radical newness of the gospel they would quickly become lost in their former traditions and just become a lost sect of Judaism. Now here's the thing, people. This is why I think it's so great about our church, and a lot of churches too, but in particular our church. I see more and more people of different cultures and ethnicities. Say amen if you ain't Korean. I see people from different walks of life. I see people who look and dress and present themselves differently. I see less and less uniformity. There was a time back in our early EM days when all the guys looked the same, had the same haircut, split hair, and wore Banana Republic. It was a travesty. <laughs> there was a time when all the youth kids wore Timberlands with whatever else, whatever else goes along with that. I see less and less uniformity here, but what I do every, see every Sunday and what I also see during life groups and what I hear and what I see when I speak with you all one-on-one is this, is a desire to know Christ and a desire for Him to be known. I see that at our church. I love what Ravi Zacharias, a great apologist and philosopher, a Christian apologist said. He said, unity does not mean uniformity because what we must keep united is that the church is one spiritual temple being built on one foundation, Jesus Christ. Unity is the church as one bride of Christ washed by his blood. Unity is the church as the one body of Christ made up of many members. Unity is the church as God's one family, people from every tribe and every nation who have been adopted in Christ. That's the type of unity that Paul's talking about. If you have any concerns about that, just look up Ephesians 4, 4, where the Spirit of God explicitly says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over, over, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. See, Paul, he did not fear anything but the fear of division and separation that could occur within the church. Paul hated the prospect of a separated body due to issues of uniformity and not unity. We know that one church does not mean there's no diversity. We're all different. The body has many members with many gifts. There's no such thing as a useless member. I mean, how could you really say that about your body? Your personal body? Can you say that you have a useless body part? It's ridiculous. Now, I am right-handed to the max. I'm so right-handed. Look at me. I'm right-handed. And my left hand is just really weak. I can't throw with my left hand. If I try to throw towards you, it'll probably go straight down to the ground or over there. Whenever I try to shake hands, if I have to use my left, my wrist just kind of gets, goes limp. I can't do anything, and, and when I play basketball, out of many failings I have, yes, my coach would always rail on me for my inability to do a left-handed layup, right? I would literally run and just throw the ball <laughs> <laughs> And I've even caught myself saying that my left hand is completely useless. But if that were the case, then I would never be able to play the guitar or any instrument really that well. I wouldn't be able to type up my sermons. I would probably have to go the, the way of Apostle Paul in his later, year, later years and have his scribe or his assistant write up everything for him. Hint, hint, Joe and Jesse. <laughs> now here's the thing. Every single one of you has a purpose to serve the body of Christ. You all do. In one way or another. But here's the pride in people. We oftentimes think that it has to do with publicly visible positions. Like preaching or leading praise or being an usher. do you want to know who I really respect? I respect the ladies who come out every Saturday morning to prepare the Sunday church meals. I do. God bless them. I really respect our members, sometimes the two, sometimes the three, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes it's just one, of our EM members who gather together before service to pray and intercede on behalf of us all. God bless them all. I admire... Some of the men who came out during the blizzard, during the blizzard, after shoveling themselves out of their home to come help shovel around the church. And when I say thank you, they say, oh, there's nothing. I also admire the media people who sit week after week, quietly worshiping with one eye open and one eye, one hand raised and the other eye looking at the computer screen and the other eye using the mouse so that they can sh- make sure that the praise and service transitions uh, move along without flaw. You know who I equate them to? They're all smiling and giggling right now because of this recognition. I equate them to like NFL kickers. When they do well, no one bats an eye. Right At the end of service, do you guys ever thank them? You're like, well, duh, it's a given. Music should come out of the speakers. Pastor Dave should be heard. The PowerPoint should be done. But the moment one glitch happens, what happens? All hell breaks loose. And they go, what the heck? And we blame them. Rightly so. Tough gig. It is the differences that make up who you are that create This church. That creates such creativity, a sense of vitality within our church. I remember a time when I gave a sermon uh, to the church during family worship. This was many years ago, actually. Afterwards, people came up to me downstairs, and I was with my dad at that time. (coughs) And they said, Pastor David, thank you for the sermon. It was really good. You're starting to sound a lot like your father. Now, here's the thing. I took that as a compliment because if I could be half the man my dad is, I'd be happy It's a compliment. But then my dad and I, a few minutes later, we walked upstairs to his office. He sat me down, and he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, David, don't ever be like me. Be better. Be you, the way God made you to be. He says, David, you have a better ministry. You be a better preacher. You pray better prayers. You be a better leader. And I'll never forget that. Because we were never created to simply be like everyone. And be like the people you see and or admire. We're called to be, each in our own different ways, more like Christ. More like Christ. And if you don't act and look the way others act and look, that's fine. But be more like Christ. (coughs) Everyone here has a role. I was encouraged by a brother here who emailed me a few weeks ago. And um, I didn't get his permission to say this, but I don't care he said in this email that he would like to commit to this church and learn more about church and he said he wanted to serve and I just want to read one little bit from the email that he sent and I quote, we see the seriousness of the discipleship in the church and the commitment and dedication. I would love to partake in any way to serve the church as well. It does not matter what task you guys want me to partake in, whether it is cleaning the restroom, etc. We would love to fellowship with you more in terms of Bible studies whenever you have time so we may learn and grow in the spiritual truth. What? I usually get emails saying, Pastor David, you should step down. I want to preach. (laughs) Who says that? Who says, bathrooms, I want to clean the restrooms. Do you know who says that? I'll tell you who says that. A person who understands the nature of the body of Christ and and this person who knows that pride before men will fall, but humility before Christ will be honored. So it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter how educated you are or not, you are or not, well, how spoken you are or not. It doesn't matter if you can play an instrument or not or whoever you are, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is His approval we seek. Can you just imagine if the entire body simply wanted to please God? Can you imagine how well that body of Christ would work? Look, we're all going to bring different things to the table because we're all different people. But don't ever let differences bring disunity. It is the differences in giftings that will allow this church to function. It will be the distinctions of what makes you you and your testimony that will spiritually strengthen the unity of this church. There's only one church. It's definitely diverse, but it's still only one. If Paul hated the divisions churches face because of their bizarre desire for all the people to be the same, then we also have no right to divide Christ's church into cliques or competing camps or to demand any type of conformity. The only conforming allowed in our church is the conforming of our minds and hearts to that of Christ. So what was the Holy Spirit? What did he highlight in your mind and heart right now, guys? In what ways have you altered the grace of God by adding your own personal expectations on others and on yourself? If Jesus and only Jesus, is it Jesus and only Jesus, or is it Jesus plus something else? But secondly, are we trying to cultivate spiritual unity with each other or superficial uniformity? Is there anyone here, for reasons unknown, has not lived up to your expectations? And you have this issue with one another. Could they be wrong? Sure. But what's also wrong is to assume that the same grace that God has showered you with, despite your many failings, somehow cannot be applied to that person you're struggling with. When we, when we fail to unite the church because of reasons like that, we are forcing everyone here to go through the same cookie-cutter route we've experienced, and more detrimentally, we nail to that cross of Christ's completed work a sticky note of our unrighteous expectations. But when you make it about Christ and nothing else is added, it will force you to surrender all your pain, all your pride, all your being because we know that there was nothing we could have done to deserve the grace of God. Absolutely nothing. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. As we enter into this time of prayer, Let's reflect on the two points that was addressed is it jesus and only jesus or do you add onto his glorious and completed work maybe you don't do it on yourself maybe maybe for you you think god thank you for your grace but the moment you start thinking about the other person The person who's wronged you. The person who's offended you. The person who hurt you in some way, somehow. That grace cannot for some reason be extended to them. What then are we saying to the Lord? We're saying, Jesus, thank you for your work, but it's certainly not enough for that person or for me to forgive that person. Secondly, like I said, Paul, he did not fear anything here on this earth, not even death. But man, was he concerned about the health of the church. The church is what Christ died for. You and me We're who Christ died for. And to bring division and issues all because of something so superficial and generic and ridiculous as he's a Jew and I'm a Gentile. He's circumcised, I'm not circumcised. Or he looks this way and I look that way. And that's the reason why the gospel gets torn up. He says, may that never be. Understand what unity is. Unity is understanding the cross, understanding the grace of God, understanding the authority of the word of the Lord. It is understanding that church is church. It is the body of Christ. We are his bride. Satan, on the other hand, will want to keep you distracted with all the superficial things to minor under major and major the minor things. Don't let that happen. If there is a need for you to reconcile with anyone here because of something so superficial, not to say that it did not hurt you, not to say that there was no pain involved, but you know it was not the core issue, that you must forgive. Approach that person too. But make sure you're in a spiritual state where you can speak with gentleness and truth and grace. So therefore, go before God right now. Go before God right now. I'm going to give you guys just a minute or two. Okay, that's like 60, 120 seconds just to pray. And really ask the Holy Spirit and pray, seek healing, seek peace, seek forgiveness. But also seek a heart that's willing to forgive, too. And a heart that's willing to love and be compassionate. And a heart that's not willing to judge. Okay, let's take this time and pray, and then we'll go into our last song.